0: This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith. G'day, everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Wow, this is a blast
1: from the past, this one. This is a chat with the great Peter Chris, the original Catman in Kiss. The conversation was conducted in early May 2017, so it has been available via the Scars and Guitars podcast ever since, but I'm now giving it to you, the YouTube audience, for the first time. Now, the catalyst for the conversation with Pete, well, you can always talk about a lot of things with the Catman, but he was performing his second last show, and I I think he's kept to his word on this one here, which is unusual for Kiss, let's face it, but uh, in Melbourne. He was playing on May 12 at the Sofitel Ballroom there, so he did an 11-song set down there, And I've got to say, I found Pete to be an absolute gentleman. And this was about the third or fourth chat that I'd ever conducted for the podcast. Sorry, not even for the podcast, interviewing in general. So, yeah, I was a bit nervous before this one here, but I needn't have been because Pete, he had plenty of things to say, certainly in the allocated time that I was given, which I stuck to. So that's why the chat's a little bit shorter than maybe the seasoned listener to the podcast might anticipate. But it's all all value, all gold in this one here. Here he is, Peter Chris from KISS. Hello. Oh, hi. It's Andrew Mackay smith calling. Is this Peter?
0: Andrew, how you doing? i waiting for you. You're all right. Yes, it is. I was like, oh, like doing my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, it's night. Well, it's nighttime here. So I'm yeah. kind of like in my PJs. I'm getting ready to uh, hold up to the TV, you know, get up to the TV and get some cookies and milk, man. <laughs>
1: good on you mate mate what's on the agenda for uh, what do you watch when you go to sleep mate I, I, I want to get every detail as much as detail as I can capture from the great Peter Chris. <laughs> I, I don't know I, I love everything there's so
0: much uh, crack on uh, the reality stuff my wife and I have hell on chat with good stuff but let's talk about the gig you know, this is going to be pretty cool I think
1: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, mate, I'll kick things off then. And as I said, um, you are a revered drummer. And when you get the opportunity to chat to one of the most influential uh, drummers in the history of rock and roll, it's rather a daunting task to choose an opening question. But I think I've got a good one to start the interview. So here goes. What were your thoughts when you first started your career as a recording musician in the band Chelsea in 1970? Did you think the ensuing 40 or 45 years or so would contain as much success and all of the different roads that you've travelled?
0: and i am very proud of Chelsea when i started recording i really thought i was gonna make it <laughs> <laughs> they were extremely creative that. i just got up the little thing uh, a gentleman knew about Chelsea and i was very freaking because these guys uh we young were from college and we were all into uh you know 69 man. and or Knuckle, and i was very influenced from the airplane to the to, to the doors to andricks she was the mothers of invention, I was, so these guys were too, and they were from the village. And so when we found out that we were going to get produced by Lou Merckstein, uh who did you know Astro Weeks, well Dan Morrison, I flipped out. I was like, holy shit, we made it! Like the, the, he's a genius, and I go, look at the work on I ever, uh, one of my favorite albums is Astro Weeks and Dan Morrison. Sure, And right. we got you know we got the on Underground, we got John Kay, we got John Kale. To play uh, electric uh, viola, so this was really cool. Like all of a sudden, all these very hit we recorded in Chelsea, uh, down in Chelsea near the Chelsea Hotel. So it couldn't get any better. And like all these amazing guys uh, are working on the album that did Astro Weeks and uh, and some of the guys from really dropped in at hi. So I was very, as a young kid, I'm mean, a young like my guy, I'm you know, 27 year old drummer. And I was freaking out. I thought all those club days were worth it. And oh my God, with are naked. But make fake But as fate would have it, we didn't. And I was very influential with these guys as far as I didn't get to sing. Women's. Nice. but they let me really arrange a lot of their stuff. That they weren't really savvy to rock and roll kind of. They were more funky kind of guys. That more sure. interested more you know, birds or more filling and. And i was like, no, no, we got to do this a little more stonesy, and we you know, we have to do this a little more back. And so it was a really, and they were really sweethearts so half of them are gone I dedicated my first album, Mike the uh my first it to him, and he died at 42, smiling, what a great bass player. So, And then out of the band, uh, Sam Benridge stayed with me, and we saw the group called rips, which is outrageous. <laughs> and then that kind of fell apart, and then I, I but met Gene and Paul, yep. but Stan and I always wrote together. We wouldn't stop writing together, so thank God, because we wrote that together, and well, that's one of people's choices, and that's been the biggest hit for Dan's ever had. I'm very proud of that, and so most of all, our songs were with, with Christian Pettner's songs, so a lot comes from Chelsea. That's been mm-hmm. very good luck for me. Nice. All the years, all those, all those cool tunes, uh, so, you it know, you might have done
1: uh, you know, we really understand uh, that uh, by work. So I read your biography and it was one of those books that I read in a few days as I simply couldn't put it down and you come across as very frank open and willing Thank to share you. your thoughts. So would you say that fate has a plan for us all?
0: yeah I do regard. I I'm a big God guy, obviously, you can tell in my book. I'm a 10-year, 11-year well, breast cancer, male breast cancer survivor. Sure, yeah. And I'm very proud of that. I've gotten a major, major amount of, you know, nice awards for going out and being an activist. because men really are not educated in it. And it annoys me because it's 1%, but it was your dad and my brother, look, we'd freak out. And when I got it, my wife freaked out. And uh, it was close, and thank God I went immediately, and I didn't have to get chemo, and I didn't have to lose my hair and go through all that horror. But since then, oh my God, my friend, I've touched so many lives uh, sure. that yeah. had nothing to do with rock and roll the the of rock and roll, all over the world. That I get emails from my Iraq guys from all over the world of so thanking me, you, or women. It, it's been, it's just amazing uh, spiritually kind of like maybe the George Harrison of kids, that I've really gotten so close to God in respect that I, I'm so grateful to pretty much waking up <laughs> every day, really, and my wife's cancer herself, and she's 20 years hmm. younger. So yep. you know, I really have a lot to thank, and as I got to do the book and then really search my soul, and there's no bullshit. That's the god I'm in, <laughs> that truth. I've never written such... I really ripped out my heart And I said, well, if I'm going to knock somebody else, I'm going to put myself just as bad on the line, and I'm not going to make myself look any better. It wasn't going to be like, you know, I'm so cool and they're not. I really laid it on the line. I'm told it's one of the best books that kind of has been put out amongst the four of us. I'm very proud of that. But you know, that I got to say the other side, where there was always you know some shit that would go out, it would be kind of a one-sided story, and I would always say, well, there's two sides to it. Street man, you know, there's another side to the story that fans need to know that they need to know why. If I if I wrecked the jungle, if I quit the band, if I did this, I did that. What was my reason? I'm not a, I'm not an idiot. I'm very well I'm really well versed. I went to school. I'm very intelligent. Mm-hmm. I don't you know I look at life as an important thing. So I was really flattered, but I couldn't tell the fans a lot of times during the reunion or during this or during that. But. You know, this stuff is going on, and this is why I was pissed, and this is why I was kidding. So, you know, it all came out in the book. I was very proud of it. I got a great response. And I got to meet my fans, like, really (laughs) meet a one-on-one. Man, i see tattoos that you wouldn't believe when they put them. Oh, I bet. Uh, blew my mind. And I got to really meet uh, Peter Bridge fans as well as Kiss fans, not that I love the band. I love my band, but I love the fact that these people are so honest. They can say one more time when you got to do it one more time. And Melbourne has been so cool to me. We did the symphony there. Uh, you guys have always been open arms to us with guys. We We've always loved each and one of us uh, separately and as a band uh, more than what you know a lot of countries do. But there's something special about where you are. So I'm going to do you. my next last show there, and I I'm very excited about it.
1: Well, we love you here in Australia, and uh, you've touched on that already, which is your relationship with Australian audiences over the years. Um, so I'll ask you a bit of a different question now. Looking back, right back again to when you first started with Chelsea, if you had your time over again, do you think you'd do anything different?
0: Uh, no, I would not. I yeah, I played the club for almost 10 years, uh, I wanted a band that was really into, you know, I wanted to get a band that does originals. I did, I got set up with cover bands and I found that they were a vein that I could really be creative and start working on my creation as a young musician of all my roots, from Latin to jazz to Dylan to the Beatles down. Then I could really start becoming a young songwriter that I felt I was beside a drummer. And, uh, yeah, they opened. You know, once they opened that door, uh, I had no fear, and I said, "You know what? That's the problem. A lot of drummers are probably so talented, uh, like Collins or Henry, that can sure. and just a little afraid maybe to jump to the forefront. Because God forbid, you should get the proper way, only hold <laughs> So that's why I levitated. so <laughs> you going not miss me, man. But you know, I did that." It was it was really done with me and understand way before them uh, they weren't even on really the recording what to do with it uh, they actually hated it because it became a of it but I'm very proud of it. I, of, of it I love music I love streams I love uh, love Sinatra you know, I love real music I guess I just love jazz I love music. I love really I love the BGs to that.
1: Sure, great. Yep, yep. So what would you say to a band or an artist starting yeah. out? Barry
0: Gibb, yeah. Yeah, good to the beauty's
1: for Yeah. Yeah, they're from Brisbane actually, which is where yeah. I'm from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there you go. There you go. So Yeah, just, yeah, yeah.
0: Why do you it.
1: Well, if you if you can um, if you come up to Brisbane, there's actually a like a shrine or a homage to the BGs in a place called Redcliffe, where they where they first started out.
0: Oh, really? I, I would believe that. You know, it was very humbly to see Barry and that, and all the buggers fine, He was the youngest, uh, but boy, what a great guy MTV gave him of uh, the performers who did their songs. You, you could, I could, you know, you sit back and then you realize. Man, this guy wrote some. They wrote some great songs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm an early DG guy, so I go back to like Massachusetts and uh, Mister Jones, and I go back to that really early kind of Kiss. Uh, I think say it was like a, a Beatles kind of feel they had at the beginning until they got their own kind of sound. And I, I love that man. Man, they, they could do harmonies like nobody.
1: Oh, yeah, no, phenomenal. Yeah, almost impossible to recreate, really, aren't they? And they could pull it off live as well, which is really unique.
0: Yeah. And so, again, you know, for me with the band, I've always listened to uh, many other musical things and pretty much one, but that was kind of always on the boys' brains. That was their real, uh, you know, that was their real soul. That was the band that they really gravitated to. They didn't gravitate anywhere else to any other musics. And for me, being a musician at Rockstar bullshit, I wanted to learn how to play uh, all other musics. I wanted to be a real drummer's drummer if you hired me. Sure. You know, to do yep. a poker <laughs> 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 I could do it. I can do it. And I you know, I learned that very early in my career, the more you do, the more you work. The less you do, the less you work. So,
1: Yeah, cool. So at the height of your success with Kiss...
0: My brother was a great singer, so...
1: (laughs) Well, you got that as well. I mean, Beth's a wonderful song. We still play it. Yeah, yeah. So at the height of your success with Kiss, were you aware of just how many impressionable kids and teenagers you were influencing to become a drummer and to get into rock and roll? Yeah,
0: around 75... In six, I started seeing, wow, like, you know, it wasn't just the band. It was like four individuals, like the Beatles, kind of. And I was getting a lot of, you know, mail for me, besides all the other boys who get getting their own males. Yep. And uh, I started to see me on a lot of faces. My drummers, and recently I got awarded uh, Most Influential Drummer to Make Other Drummers Play. And I got this wonderful Excellent. thing my wife worked out with the uh, people. And, you know, here's, Steve, here's uh, Stephen Adler and uh, Kenny Arnold and yes. Frank Bessonet, and, I mean Mitch Steele, and just guys like that all going, hey Peter, man, you know Chad Wagner, if it wasn't for you to you know, I would be playing drums so I wouldn't have a great living. and I'm like it really blows me away, man you know, it just blows my mind.
1: Oh, fantastic. Alright, well I'll wrap things up and any last words for Australian listeners?
0: can't wait to get there. Uh, not looking forward to the 24 hour <laughs> of the play, but uh, I'm sure looking forward to seeing you guys. Uh, it's going to be a breath of fresh air. It's going to be a very magical evening. Trust me, my friend. So it, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Fantastic, mate. Well, we love you here, mate. Come down any time you I'm want.
0: I for one or two people or a million people. Who's ever going to get <laughs> me is going to get a whole different beat of fish, doing a whole different kind of beat of fish stuff. So it's going to be magic.
1: Oh, there's going to be a room full of people there. I can assure you, mate, and they'd have you there every night. I think if they could down at the uh, down in Melbourne.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, God bless you, man. I wanted to do it an intimate. Uh, that's how I started in clubs, and I said to my wife, I didn't want to end in stadiums. I wanted to end in an, an intimate uh, place. Same in New York. Here we had a nice intimate place. We booked a real intimate rock club, but uh, you know, not not you know, just cool, and that's what it should be.
1: Absolutely, mate. Yeah, back back air. where it all started. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks very much again, uh, Pete. Well, i love
0: you. Uh, God bless you, and thanks so much. I'm very honoured that you call me. Uh, really, thank, thank you, you so much, and, and I'll see you then. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, thank you.
1: Definitely. Okay, chat to you soon. <laughs> thanks. Bye. Fascinating stuff. I'm really grateful that I had that opportunity way back in the day to chat to peter because he doesn't do many interviews and there were only a few that were allocated in advance of those shows or that show down in melbourne because frankly a gig like that sells itself without much promotion there are so many hardcore deeply invested fans of the group across australia but particularly in melbourne now if you like that one there are more just like it over at scarsandguitars.com whilst you're there check out my book you can click the link in the banner and if you do complete the purchase after you've had a bit of a read before you buy that sort of thing please do hit me up on socials i'm easily found because i want to thank you in person and there's some more information to share with you about the book in the moment but before we get to that i need to bid you a fond farewell my name's andrew mackay smith and i'm the host of the scars and guitars podcast until
0: next time it's a goodbye for now This is Eric Rutan of Cannibal Corpse. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast with Andrew McKay-Smith.
1: I've been the host of the Scars and Guitars podcast since 2017. The first musician I interviewed for the show was David Vincent from Morbid Angel, and things have just snowballed from there. In all, I've posted almost 650 podcast episodes featuring conversations with many of the leading lights of rock, heavy metal and beyond. It just got to a point where I thought, I need to write a book about all this, so that's exactly what I did. In Scars and Guitars Volume 1, you'll read a heap of deep reveals and commentary, such as Des Fafara talking about Coal Chamber and why the band will never return.
0: You know, if you're a, a band just starting out, you need to hear me.
1: Do not start a band with partners. Yeah, wise words. Uh, sage advice, mate, for
0: anybody. Don't no, ever, because I I can't go do cold chamber right now unless I get others involved.
1: Phil Anselmo talks about the episode in his career, which gives him the greatest sense of accomplishment. I think the staying power of the, the fans and the staying
0: power of the I, of the songs. You know, whether it's Pantera Down or Superjoint, the fans remember the songs.
1: Alex Skolnick from Testament confirms it. Yes. Playing the guitar in Ozzy's band is anything but an ordinary gig. Will Silenos from Demu Gear write a book? Pa from Sabaton gives advice to people who want to start a band. Look at the team around you, look at the bandmates. If, uh, if the guys want to be on the stage, then it's all cool. If the guys want to be backstage, then it's not going to be cool. Current and former members of Cradle of Filth discuss the band's seminal 90s material. Read about the reaction. To George Lynch and Mark from Suicide Silences comments when they throw shade at then President Donald Trump. We have this idiotic monster,
0: you know, this egotistical, self aggrandizing complete piece of shit in there. I, I, I just I just can't understand how we've gotten to this place.
1: And yeah, we kicked a hornet's nest with Sepultura. Percussive overlord Gene Hoagland talks about recording with Chuck Shaldina.
0: Chuck was always um, you know, he was he was very you know very open-minded and and he was into having his his musicians that were playing with him just reach out for for the best stuff that they had.
1: Phil Campbell from Motorhead discusses what it takes to get sober. John Five answers his critics who dismiss his tenure with Marilyn Manson.
0: You know my name is John Five and Manson gave me that name and um i I had some of the best years of my life in that band and and learned a lot.
1: And we get the lowdown on Trey Zagtoth from those who would know, including his mother. All across Scars and Guitars Volume 1 there are moments of tension, relief, tragedy, exhilaration and throughout it all you'll obtain insight that I believe no one else has managed to obtain from many of your favourite artists. So treat yourself, Scars and Guitars Volume 1 is currently available as an ebook with a print edition on the horizon. Follow the links attached and download a sample. I'm sure you'll be compelled
0: to read the whole book.